Let's pray. Lord, help us to hold fast until you come. Help us to be faithful in prayer. Help us to seek your face, whether it's five minutes or five more centuries until you come. Lord, you are good to us. And how fortunate we are that you seek a relationship with us. Oh, Lord, please help us to seek after your face as well. Please anoint my lips and allow me to speak the message you have for this congregation today. In Jesus' name, amen. <sighs> the habit of prayer. Already you've heard some great stuff about the habit of prayer, and I loved, I loved Harry's big book on the habit of prayer. The truth is that there are many books about prayer art out there. And one of them I was reading in preparation for this, I was reading through it and I was like, this is way too technical for my poor congregation. Why do we have to make it so hard? Why do we have to make prayer so hard? Why do we have to make it complicated? I would like to submit that prayer doesn't have to be that complicated. Yes, there's enough about it out there that it rightly fills many books, but that shouldn't keep any of us from approaching God in prayer. Because prayer, at its most foundational, is, as the children said, talking with God. And how blessed we are that all of us are given the privilege of talking with God. Now I'm going to talk for a moment here about habits. Sean Covey wrote, I am habit. What does that mean? What it means is that our habits, the things we do over and over and over again, make who we are. They form our character. Some of these habits that make who we are are showing up to work on time. It shows we have a character of, that has a work ethic or punctuality. Another habit that shows who we are is what we do with our free time. Are we in the habit of watching television or reading books or doing something creative with our spare time? These habits form our interests in who we are and where we spend our time shows what we value. So what our habits show us is what's important to us. Now there's a couple of habits that all of us in this room have. One of them is eating. How many of you out there have a habit of eating? You should all be raising your hands because if you're a human being and you're not withering away right now, you have a habit of eating. We all have habits of eating in different ways at different times, but we all have a habit of eating. Some of us may have good family dinners that were lovingly prepared by someone who, who labored intensively over it and we eat dinner by candlelight with our loved ones. I'm not sure that this describes the situation for many people here. For us, it only describes Friday night. Some of us grab a snack on our way to work. Some of us do fast food. And I'm not here to judge anybody on that. That's not what this sermon's about. But I'm saying that 
Just as we all eat many different ways, we all pray many different ways. But I would also like to suggest that like eating, no, prayer is in a, in a higher category than eating. Prayer is like breathing. I'm not going to ask you guys to hold your breath because I don't want a church full of oxygen-deprived people with, who are blue in the face. But isn't it amazing how our habit of breathing keeps us alive? We need prayer to survive spiritually. I would like you to get out your notes. This is the first point in your notes. We need prayer to survive spiritually because prayer is like breathing. Prayer is like breathing in that we need God to survive and prayer is how we communicate with God. In your notes, there's an Ellen White quote from Messages to Young People. Now, I'm not a fan of Messages to Young People because it's a compilation that seems like it was written at times by someone who really didn't like young people. But this quote makes a really good point about prayer. It says, prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. No other means of grace can be substituted and the health of the soul be preserved. Prayer brings the heart into immediate contact with the wellspring of life and strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. Neglect the exercise of prayer or engage in prayer spasmodically now and then, as seems convenient, and you lose your hold on God. The spiritual faculties lose their vitality. The religious experience lacks health and vigor. Sounds like exercise, doesn't it? How many of you are, well, maybe I shouldn't ask this. I don't want to embarrass anybody who can't raise their hand to this, but I want you to think of this in your head, not raise your hand. How many of you have a habit of exercise? Do you feel better when you exercise? Oh, yeah. You know, my husband and I were in a really good habit of walking two miles a morning right up until a couple of days ago when I got too tired. I have been so sluggish these last few days that we haven't been walking that I miss our exercise. Exercise doesn't seem like the thing you want to do when you're about to do it, but you feel so much better after you've done it. And prayer is kind of like that. It can be intimidating, much like exercise, to think about before you do it, but once you're doing it and you've done it, you feel so much better because you're connecting with something you need for your survival. But here's the, I love, I love how 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 puts it. Pray continually. Pray continually like you would breathe. The question though is not whether we should pray. I don't think anyone in this room would argue with the need to pray, right? The question is, how do we make time for prayer in our busy lives? After all, we have jobs, we have families, we have hobbies, we have responsibilities. We all have things that we need to do. 
We're all busy. We're in an American culture of busyness. How many of you think you have a pretty busy life? How many of you wish that it were a little less busy? I think very few of us would argue with that. So the question remains, how on earth can we take time for prayer when we live such busy lives? Well, I love this quote from Martin Luther. I am so busy now that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. I'm not saying that we all need three hours a day because I'm saying we're not all as busy as Martin Luther was. This is the second principle I want you to write down. The busier we are, the more we need prayer. Let me put it this way. If I'm having my day off, how much prayer do I need? On my day off, I might read a couple books, I might watch a movie. Yes, I watch movies, I just admitted that. Um, <laughs> I might spend some time with my husband and my cats. How much prayer do I need for a day like that? I pray, I, on days off, I pray, what I pray for is to use the time in a way that will actually rest me up for God's glory. I pray, when I'm on my day off, all I really need to pray is that I actually rest. However, on a day like, oh say, today, well, let's have a, today's not that bad. Let's, let's have a theoretical day during the busy season where I'm teaching Sabbath school, maybe I'm preaching, maybe I'm not, where there's choir practice after lunch and then pathfinders after that and then get connected after that, how much prayer do I need then? A lot more. The busier your day is, the more prayer you need because the more there is to pray about. The more, the more things that are crowding your schedule, the more there is to pray about because everything in our schedule needs prayer. Whether it's work time or leisure time, whether it's how we, whether it's how we earn a living or how we enjoy ourselves, everything we do needs to be bathed in prayer. But the question remains, how do we do that? We need, actually, I'll get back to this. First, I'm going to talk about the text that's in your notes. This is the story of Enoch. Genesis 5, verse 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. It's a great story. And one thing that's encouraging about this story to me is that it said that he, it doesn't say that he walked with God until after he became a father at 65 years of age. So 
If you're young like me and you feel like you don't have this super close relationship with God yet, have patience. It's coming. Like exercise, prayer takes time to develop. Like a muscle, it takes time to work it out. But the other thing that I find interesting about this text is that Enoch walked with God while he was a father. Now, I'm not a parent, so I have no right to give parenting advice. But what I can say is from watching all of you parents is that it is a tough job. There is no one busier than a parent, whether they stay at home with the children or whether they're out in the field working. Somehow, Enoch managed to walk with God while being a parent while raising his children, while engaging with the world. And I think that a lot of Enoch's prayers may have been very simple ones. Ones like, Lord, help me, or thank you, quick prayers. The sorts of prayers that you give while you're in traffic. When you're sitting in traffic, I love how, how Harry's children's story talked about this. Um, do you have time to close your eyes, kneel on the floor, and um, fold your hands? <laughs> you can't do that. Instead, your prayer sounds more like, Lord, save me from this person who's cutting me off. If, it's, if they're cutting you off, Maybe all you're praying is, save me. A lot of our prayers don't have to be very fancy. Just two weeks ago, I was going to El Monte to preach. Well, I was getting ready to preach in El Monte, and I noticed that there were some red dots on my skin. And I was like, what's that all about? And I looked further, and there were red dots all over my body. I had started to see them the day before, but I thought they were a sunburn. But it became clear as I saw the red dots all over me that this was no sunburn. So, as much as I hate uh, going places and making people work on the Sabbath, uh, I went to urgent care. And on my way to urgent care, while I was driving, I prayed, Lord... Make it something easy to identify and quickly treatable. Well, God answered my prayer. All it turned out to be was an allergic reaction to a medication I was taking, and all I had to do was stop taking it. God answered my prayer, even though it was just a quick little thing in the car. And God will hear your quick little prayers. God will hear the prayers you utter in traffic. God will hear the prayers that you give while you're in the middle of doing something else. God will hear the prayers and answer the prayers that you give when you are busy. At the same time, though, I would like to recommend that to build up the habit of prayer, we still need a dedicated time each day for prayer. We still need it. 
You can eat snacks when you're hungry, but is it good to have your entire diet consist of snacks? No. No. There's some modern diets that recommend this, but I have yet to have any success with them, and I doubt they work. We need our meals at set times. It just, our body works better that way. And similarly, we need our prayer meals at set times. Now, one way that our Christian culture kind of recognizes this is that we pray before meals, right? Lord, thank you for the food. Please bless the hands that prepared it. It's a good prayer. I'm not going to knock it because three times a day, our thoughts are required to return to God in this habitual prayer. It's not a bad thing. You'll hear some preachers disparage the meal prayers as being shallow or whatever, but they're not. If you're saying that prayer with a grateful heart for your food, it's a good prayer. And God will bless that food, and it will be good. The other times, the other times that our culture gives for prayer is in the morning when you wake up and at night before you go to bed. Actually, I have to pray every night before I go to bed, or I'll have nightmares. Yeah, it's a funny thing that this is something we usually pray for our children, but for some of us, nightmares sort of follow us into adulthood, unless we actively do something to combat it, which for me is praying for God to bless my sleep. At night is a good time to pray because it makes your last thought of the night on God. But I would also like to recommend praying in the morning to get a clean slate for the day, if possible. Now, one person who really took advantage of this whole idea of making a dedicated time for prayer was Daniel. It says in your notes... In Daniel 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel had learned the decree, this is the tale of the lion's den. Now when Daniel learned that the decree forbidding prayer had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. When most preachers preach on this text, they emphasize Daniel's courage in praying in front of an open window, even though there was a decree out forbidding prayer. But what most preachers don't talk about is what this, what this little story has to say about praying beyond courage. You see, there's a reason why Daniel prayed with his window open towards Jerusalem. He prayed there because 60 years earlier, no, far earlier than that, several centuries earlier, Solomon had said that if my people who are called by my name pray towards my temple, this is what God said to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name pray towards this temple in exile, I will hear their prayer and deliver them. You see, Daniel prayed with an understanding of prophecy that 
if he prayed towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, God would hear his prayer. And looking towards the temple focused his mind so that he could focus on what he was praying about. Now notice that he, that he stopped three times a day to pray. And it says here in the text that he went home to his upstairs room. He went home. Daniel went to a major effort to set aside distractions. Now I can hear you saying, Pastor Jillian, why do you have a picture of Winnie the Pooh there? If you look really closely, right here, there's a little sign that says Pooh's Thoughtful Spot. You see, I, I have been on a quest for about two years now to watch all of the animated Disney movies in order and review them. Because we do not watch our media uncritically, you know. We've got to actually think about what we watch. So it came time to watch and review Winnie the Pooh, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh from the 1970s. And I found the movie kind of hard to get through because unlike most Disney movies, it really is made for children and there's absolutely nothing offensive in it. That impressed me. But the thing that caught my attention was the idea that Pooh had a thoughtful spot and he would go there to think, 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 think. Pooh wasn't too bright, if, and you know that if you've seen any of the cartoons about him. But he would take time to think. He would set aside a time to go out to his thinking spot and think. Never mind that Tigger would come and interrupt him while he was thinking. But he would take the time to choose a physical place dedicated to th thinking. Prayer demands the same sort of concentration. So what I'd like you to write down is set aside distractions. Now, there's a great movie called The War Room that says that you should clean out your closet and use it for prayer. I don't know about you, but I need my closet for clothes. It's a great idea if you have the closet space to do it. I love the idea of having a room dedicated to prayer where I can put up lists and things and keep my devotional books. Well, that's not a prayer room, that's a library. But it's not practical for most of us, right? Because we need our closets for clothes. What you need is a way of communicating with the people you live, you live with when you are not to be disturbed. Let me, say that, let me say that by giving you an example. I grew up, um, I had my own room and I loved it for doing my prayer work and devotionals, but also we traveled a lot where my parents and my brother and I would all be staying in a hotel room somewhere. And of course, there's no way to be isolated for prayer when you're all sharing a hotel room, right? Well, actually there is. I started keeping a journal. And my family learned 
that if I'm, if I'm doing my journal, I'm not to be bothered because that's my devotional time. And while you may not be a writer with a, with a journal, you can all find some way of communicating with your spouse, your children, or whoever lives with you, your parents if you are a child. This is, this is what it looks like when I'm praying. Don't bug me when I'm praying. My husband, I can tell that he's doing his devotionals when he has his Bible out, so I've learned to stop bothering him when he has his Bible out because I love to bother him so much. But the point is, we need to make an effort to set aside distractions in our physical environment for our daily time with, in prayer. And you can even do this in your car by turning off the radio. It can be that simple. If your only alone time all day is in the car, go ahead and use it for prayer. Just turn off the radio and have that time with God. The other thing Daniel does is he gives thanks. Eat three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This becomes so much more poignant when you consider that Daniel was an exile. Daniel had been forcibly ripped from his home. He had been dragged away from Jerusalem. He had had, he had, had everything about him taken away in service of his new master. But Daniel never forgot who he was. And he gave thanks to God, even in this bleak circumstance. Even though, even though he was very far away from his home, even though he suffered so much, even though he was ripped away from his family, he found reason to give thanks. And you know what? I think that's a part of how Daniel survived. You see, in college, I had a boyfriend who was not Stephen. Yes, you heard that right. I had a boyfriend who was not Stephen for two and a half years. And I loved him, but it was not a practical match. It just wasn't. And it took me two and a half years to finally accept this, that as much as I loved this guy, I needed to, I really needed to break up with him. And I knew it would be traumatic for both of us. Yeah, it would be more traumatic for him because he was the one being dumped, but it's also traumatic to dump someone that you genuinely care about because you don't want to inflict pain. I don't know if any of you ladies or gentlemen have been in that situation yourselves, but it's hard to break up with someone that you genuinely care about, even if you have the best reasons for it. So I knew it was going to be a very difficult time. So what I decided to do, based on some classes I'd been taking for my theology major, I decided to start finding five things to be grateful to God for every day. 
and I couldn't repeat within a given week. That meant that it was not advantageous for me to generalize. It's easy to thank God every day for my family and my friends. But instead, I was forced to thank God for my friend Diane, for my father, for my mother, and to itemize the things I was thankful for so that I would actually not be repeating anything. And you know what I discovered? I had so much to be thankful for. And I felt so much closer to God as a result of this exercise than I'd had in years at that point. Giving thanks is so important because it helps us recognize where God is at work in our lives. Giving thanks reminds me of the old Cherokee legend about the two wolves that was made popular by the film Tomorrowland. There's two wolves that are fighting. They're both the same weight. One of them represents all that is evil in the world, greed, jealousy, hatred, the other one represents all that is good in this world. Happiness, joy, light. These two wolves are fighting, and the question is, which one will win? And the answer to that is very simply, the wolf you feed. Like these two wolves, there's a war going on for our minds trying to drag us down into the darkness. And that darkness looks different for everyone. For some, it looks like depression. For some, it looks like anxiety. For some, it just looks like not living up to your full potential. There's a war trying to drag us down into that. But there's also God's side, which is fighting to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us hope. And we ultimately decide which side will win. And that is the side we feed. And that is what we do. We feed the good wolf when we give thanks. I would like to end this sermon by talking a little bit about Jesus and his prayer habits. You see, Jesus was God. And if prayer is talking to God, does Jesus really need to do it? Actually, he did. Even the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, found that he needed time to pray. There are some preachers who emphasize how Jesus was always surrounded by people, how Jesus was always... Um, inundated with crowds. But you know what? For every time in the Bible that it says that Jesus was surrounded by crowds, it also says that he retreated to pray, that he went off to a mountain by himself to pray, that he was even in prayer all night to his father. Jesus the perfect Son of God, the Savior of the universe, recognized more than most of the rest of us do 
how very much we need to be in constant communion with God. He knew that the only way that he could execute the plan of salvation, the only way he could get the job done, was to be in constant prayer with his Father. There was one occasion where Jesus and two of his disciples were coming down from the mountain of transfiguration, and the rest of the disciples had been trying to cast a demon out of a boy. But they just couldn't do it. And Jesus prayed over the boy, and the demon came out. And the disciples asked, why couldn't we do it? Jesus replied, this is the kind that can only come out by much fasting and prayer. Through the power of prayer, Jesus and his disciples did amazing things. And there's no reason to believe that we could not do them now if we are truly in communion with God. The things that, if we truly believe that God is real, that the almighty, powerful God of the Bible is real, then we must believe that prayer does something. I would like to acknowledge those of you who have a story about, about prayer where your prayer wasn't answered, or so it seemed. I have a story like that. A very sad story where I was praying for my brother to live, but he didn't. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God has his reasons for saying no. But just as often, God says yes. Just as often, God says, yes, I will grant your prayer. I have seen your suffering. I have seen what you're going through. And I will answer your prayer. And he wants to hear from us. When I was in college, there were, I wasn't sure how often to call my parents. And eventually, after two or three weeks, someone, my, my dad actually called the dean to find out if I was all right because he hadn't heard from me in three weeks. God wants to hear from us more than my parents wanted to hear from me. And if any of you have ever had children off at college, you know how badly you want to hear from them. God is just waiting to hear from us. God is longing to hear from us. And if we're really honest with ourselves, that is our longing as well to come to God and hear from him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you have given us the privilege of prayer. Lord, help us to make time for prayer, not because it's a good Christian thing to do, but because we want to hear from you, because we want to share our lives with you, because we want to be with you. Lord, draw close to us and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
There were days when I feel the best of me is ready to begin. Then there's days when I feel I'm letting go and soaring on the wind. Cause I've learned in laughter or in pain how to survive. me mm-hmm.